1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I know it's not Wednesday, I know it's Thursday, but hey, I'll give you your podcast fix. Here it is right now, Offside Hockey Talk, fresh and hot out the oven. Sitting shotgun with me, as always, is Kyle Outridge. Kyle, how's the day treating you today?
0: Well, sir, it's, uh, it's a little great here, but uh, not a bad day. It's always a good day to talk hockey and chat with you. How you doing, sir?
1: You know what? Bouncing back from that migraine yesterday. It's uh, a fuzzy duck feeling, man. I can't remember much of yesterday, and obviously... Today I sound like I got a mouthful of marbles, so we'll fumble through this and have a little fun with it.
0: Sorry, but you cut out there. Say that
1: again. I said we'll fumble through it and have a little fun with it.
0: Well, <laughs> we will, sir. Apparently, uh, lost, lost connection there for a second, but uh, yeah, let's get to it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, we're proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. Need your home spray foamed? Check out Drew and the crew at MSFI.ca today, and of course Highland Custom Builders. Your vision, built custom. Kyle, rumblings around Leafland, and everybody's getting excited because of a chat between Pierre LeBrun and one Wayne Simmons. Uh, a lot of people asking Wayne Simmons if he's going to sign or when will he sign with his hometown Toronto Maple Leafs, and of course he retorted to Mr. Pierre LeBrun with uh, the thought has crossed my mind. Now Leaf fans are clamoring, but I have to wonder: Are you going to get Wayne Simmons that will be effective in your top six, possibly? Or is Wayne Simmons more of the guy that we've seen for the past couple of seasons? A little banged up and a kind of shell of a former, former self. Now, I would love the Wayne Simmons that always used to snipe on the Maple Leafs, bring that little snarl and the tenacity. Um, I'm wondering, Kyle, without mentioning price tag right now, at face value, would you take a Wayne Simmons on this roster?
0: Uh, well, I mean, if you, like you said, if you get Wayne Simmons uh, from three years ago, sure, I would love Wayne Simmons from three years ago. Um, I mean, even Wayne Simmons, just a just a healthy Wayne Simmons, you know, uh, I would definitely uh, definitely welcome him into the Leafs lineup. But I did tweet this out um, when when I seen the report. I mean, he brings that offensive little touch, but he, he brings you that that grit, and you know, it's uh, it's almost like a Kyle Clifford, but with a little more uh, offensive flair to it. And uh, you know, I think that's definitely something the Leafs could work with. Um, can he be your, your, the old top six Wayne Simmons? That's it's in the air, but I mean. If he can fit into your top nine and and, and, and contribute and, and bring that 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 grit to the to the to the Leafs lineup, then um, I, I think I think it would be a good deal if we get him for the right price.
1: Now a lot of people are saying you know you can't just add him and then subtract Clifford and say well Wayne Simmons is your uh, be all end all on the snarl physical side of things and and dust your hands of it. Um, for me, I look at it like this: if he's coming in and wants a one-year five million dollar deal like he did with the. New Jersey Devils last year I say no right off the bat. But if he comes in with a realistic expectation of wanting to rekindle or refine his career, I'll Patrick Maroon or that ilk of player, um you know, maybe for a one year, 1.5 or one year, 1 mil deal, I would take Wayne Simmons on your in your bottom six. You know, if you bring back Spezza at 750k again, you know, what's wrong with a line of, you know, Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza and Tossin X, you know, young player? on the other side, maybe a Korshakov or someone, and have that rod as your third or fourth line. I mean, that ain't too shabby, and you especially know if you get a healthy version of Wayne Simmons, he can contribute more, and if he's on that lower end of a contract, you know he's going to have that snarl in his belly to want to perform and do well to get one more big payday. So it may be a match made in heaven where he's had a kind of a down year, the cap is flat, the Leafs are looking for a player like him, it seems to check all the boxes and like you said if he's healthy maybe this might be where we go and maybe he takes his show me deal and goes and makes his money elsewhere after next year but I would like him to to be on the roster if he can perform and do well and if he's a million dollar contract and doesn't work out you can bury him in the miners and not worry about the hit. Yeah and uh, and
0: that's exactly it and, uh, and it's kind of like a Jason Spezza type deal you know come in show me be the veteran be the uh be that, be that, be whatever role we need type of guy. And uh, like you said, and like we mentioned, if, as long as he, he can stay healthy, I think he can contribute and uh, at the right
1: price. Hell yeah, let's go. Right. So the other thing that came across yesterday and in the past couple of days is another Leafs defenseman, obviously one who's signed, hasn't got to play with the Leafs as of yet, but that's Miko Lettinen. Um, obviously there's a lot of hype going on around this guy. Uh, everything he does is underneath a microscope over in the KHL right now. Um, You know, putting up the goals, putting up the assist. He's showing his fancy skating moves. They're calling it the Miko Lettinen show, and he's he's putting it on. And Leafs fans are getting excited. Kyle, do you get excited about a KHL player um, before they get here, or would you rather wait until he gets here to see the fanfare heaped upon him? Because right now, everybody's uh, clamoring for this guy, and I think it might set the expectations just a little too high.
0: Yeah, and I—I I mean, it's something you gotta be—you gotta be careful of when you got the uh, the KHL guys, or or you i mean, like you can't—you can't, you can't deny European style of hockey is different than the NHL. And you can't—you can't contest that. So, um, I mean, it's hard to get a good grade on on what he's gonna be in the NHL. Um, but I mean, for the offensive side, it's great to see him putting pucks in the net and uh, being offensive and. I mean, he, he's got size, so you know he can he can get in there and be and be a be a be a be a big guy in the corner and, and throw his body around. So um, I mean, I I don't go too crazy over the KHL stats. I mean, you can you can be liked out in the KHL, come to the NHL on the smaller ice right surface and tighter, faster game style, and uh, you know it's it's not all the same. So uh, I I will like I'd like to see him play, you know, with the Leafs and, and see what he can really do. But uh, definitely some positive positivity for the offensive side of his game.
1: No, definitely. I mean, it's not something the Leafs need, another puck-moving good defenseman, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to have them in your system, dangle his trade bait, whatever it may be. Um, It seems that Kyle Dubas threw a little cold water as well on the Freddie Anderson rumors, saying that he's not shopping him. They are listening. Um, Apparently he did have a couple conversations with Anderson and let him know that they're not going to move him just for the sake of moving him. Um, You know, I, like I told you before, felt like it was a a crappy way to treat a goaltender who's gotten you so far and the way that it was being handled I'm very glad you know Kyle Dubas with his hand on nature you know reached out to Freddie talked to him smoothed it over it seems and you know what I still am at the boat that Freddie will be here next year and we'll see what happens rolling the dice because I I don't see them going get Matt Murray um I just don't and Robin Leonard looks like he's about to Inca, a longer-term deal with the Vegas Golden Knights as well. So that's another option off the table as we talked with, uh, you know, Frizz the other day, and that was one of his options. I'm thinking right now the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to stay pat with what they have in net and try to bolster their defense, and that's the way they're going to go.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, Dubas flat out said he's not going to move Anderson unless he gets an upgrade. And, I I mean, uh, Matt Murray, you know, we've, we've chatted about him and what he can offer, but, I, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think, I think we see Anderson back in net to start the year for, for sure next year and, uh, you know, possibly a trade deadline act deal or something like that. He might be moved, but, um, I mean, if the are playing well and he's playing well, I, I definitely see the Leafs riding him out, and, uh, giving him that opportunity. Uh, as far as the, the rumors that, uh, Dubas hadn't talked to Anderson, I, I, I don't know how much of that's true. I'm glad they, that it came out that they've had a chat and, and you know, Dubis has cleared the air, but, um, I mean, I know Anderson's well-respected within the Maple Leaf organization, and uh, I'm sure Dubas and them had conversations with them to let him know what was going on. So, uh, but I, like I said, I, I, I don't see anything happening unless it's an upgrade, and there's not really an upgrade out there better than Anderson in, 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 in right now in, in, out in the market. So, um, I do think we see uh, Freddie back in net for the least fixture.
1: Yeah, I mean, if and whats. Like I said the other day to Frizz, too. and. You know, I've been beating this drum. You take any of those goaltenders that everybody's mentioning and you put them in front of the Leafs' defense. Do they have the same numbers as Freddie over the past few seasons or better? Or do they have worse? It all depends. Plus, you got to play in the media fishbowl that's known as Toronto. So, you know, throw all those factors in there and throw those goaltenders in there and see if they can handle not only the pressure but the noise as well. And it's one different beast. But, uh... We're very lucky today, there, Kyle. You know, on Wednesdays and Fridays, we usually get to have a pretty good guest on with us, and today is absolutely no exception. We're having a guy on who's been an NHL scout forever. Uh, he was the GM of the St. John Sea Dogs. He's none other than Daryl Young. He joins us today. Cannot wait to get him on. How about we bring him aboard, my buddy? All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are sitting down with a man who has covered and been a part of hockey for a very long time. Uh, he's been a former scout. He, he was the GM of the St. John Sea Dogs of the Quebec Major Junior League, and he is none other than Daryl Young. Daryl, how is the day treating you today?
2: Great. It's uh, beautiful and uh, warm here in, in uh, Quistensis, New Brunswick.
1: There you go. Well, I'm sitting in Halifax, Nova Scotia, just down by the Harbour, so we're both in the Maritimes enjoying the uh, Atlantic bubble.
2: Well, it's been perfect for us, uh, for <laughs> sure.
1: It's as long as they keep it that way. <laughs>
2: No, exactly. Well, I heard today that Ontario's uh close north borders as well, so I think they're learning from uh, Atlantic Canada, which I don't think those upper Canadians want to want to like a great,
1: like a uh, That's the truth right there. Well, I mean, they put out that, um, I guess, report that Atlantic Canada, the Atlantic bubble, was one of the safest places to be in North America. So that's the tip of the cap to everything they're doing out here and keeping us safe and the case is low. Yeah,
2: no question. It's probably be one of the safest places in the world to be. Right. As, as your real estate sales, right? People want to move
1: here. That's right. Well, you know what? We'll we'll keep it that way, and we'll make sure that we keep it uh, safe and calm. And maybe next year we'll have some visitors. But right now, I'd rather keep it the way it is. Yep, nope, sounds good to me. <laughs> well, Daryl, I wanted to have you on. I was talking to Jamie Anesty, and he said, "Hey, why don't you have Daryl Young on?" And obviously, he listed off your accomplishments and everything you've done, and I was blown away. And I'm wondering for you. I, I, we'll take it way back to the beginning what started the love of hockey, and what's kept you interested in, in hockey for this long?
2: Well, you know what? When I was born in the 50s. I got pictures of myself with family on lakes, uh, you know, when we were all young playing hockey, and my dad loved the game. My mother actually knew nothing about the game, but uh, she fell in love with the game and uh, through my father, and my father was a guy that, uh, you know, wanted the best for his kids, and you know, one of those guys who grew up in the 20s and the 30s that uh, he felt that there was an opportunity there and one of the kids enjoyed life and he, he exposed us to hockey and helped us grow our love for it.
1: Well, you know, growing up and getting to have hockey and the love of the game is amazing. And I mean, you can probably attest to this, so many people get attached to the game and it helps them through different points of life too whether it be just playing or being a part of it or just being a part of the hockey community, it really brings out the best in people at times.
2: Oh, no question. You know, it, uh, hockey reflects a lot of life. You know, you deal with adversity, you learn discipline, you learn to set goals, you, know, you learn to be a good teammate, whether it's in the, in the office or the business office side of it or, or the hockey hockey team side or any sport in general. And also, you know, Learn about uh, you know honesty and you know and, and character that is revealed and all those things that uh, help you grow as a person and helps you later on in life.
1: So for you, I mean, when we talk about your career. Um, you know, what made you want to get into scouting and obviously ultimately into a GM role? But first, we'll talk about the scouting bit. What, what got you into that? Was it just like liking the fact that you can find players and help develop them, bring them along, or what was it for you?
2: Well interesting is that uh, I'll go back uh, I, I, I'm more of a coach than a skill <laughs> yeah. so I, I, you know, I started coaching when I was 12 years old and uh, worked with you know, kids years younger than I was and in high school I was helping coach a bad team and when I was playing at the House University it, and that ended uh, I, I, actually when I was playing at Dell I worked with Peter Page in the hockey schools That and when my career ended there at age 21 I was coaching play major and junior B and senior, and, and I did my internship in sport management at uh, sport Nova Scotia with Brian O'Byrne, and uh, during that time, the Year Canada Cup was in Halifax, and I met a gentleman named Jack Ferguson, who was, the, who was here at the OHL Scouting, and at that time, uh, the, the OHL did could play us and and. So I was coaching in the 17-19 uh, under- uh, program, Rocky Canada, to North Nova Scotia, and, H- and Jack Ferguson Harden for the LHL. And a couple of years later, I'm you know, coaching the housing university in 85, and you know, through my time in the LHL, I was guys like Sam McMaster, was the GM of Valley uh, of Kings. Before that, he worked for the Washington Capitol as the director of play- uh, recruitment know and meet people on the way and coach Dell and then Sam co- called me and from our OHL days said, Washington's looking for a part-time scout and the Maritimes are in near interest so I was coaching at Del for until 98 and he offered me a you know, part-time scouting job with, uh, with Washington I think in 87 and I started from there.
1: So for you, when you when you started getting into scouting, I mean, we'll touch on housing in a sec because obviously I'm sitting not, you know, a kilometer away from them right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, going into scouting, when you look at players from that from the start when you started scouting, basically up until now, what do you think is the, the biggest change in guys? And, and when you were looking for players, did it change over the years for, like, players that teams were looking for or players that you were trying to bring in I know that we've looked at the you know back in the day it was more of the gritty kind of guy you know that could score and rumble and tumble and then it got into more of the you know faster skating more finesse more better hands you know and less of the, the grit and the growl um, for you what did you notice over the time from players and then from what teams wanted out of players well I think
2: the biggest difference there's two big differences I, I would have to say you know like you know, you always go hockey, hockey sense 30 years ago. You want the people, you want that 30 years ago. You wanted skill, you want that 30 40 years ago as well. But the, the two biggest things that have, that have changed are probably the, the, the speed of the game and the skating. Like, I worked with a guy named Brian Cook, who was a first round pick from that project, six foot four defenseman, you know, drafted by the in Boston, and you know, played NHL, and still has a record for most kind history of the Toronto Maple you know you couldn't today we weren't even looking at him You couldn't skate well enough to play this game so skating is just the biggest probably change and the second one is probably the late 80s if you looked at players oh well, they, they looked a lot more like linebackers and today's players look a lot more like members in terms of long lean bodies uh, so the body type has changed quite a bit well, players, you do know, the emphasis on speed, um, you know rule change, rule changes they put in. there was no clutching, there's no grabbing, there's all all those things are still you know, gone by the wayside. So, but the one thing that hasn't changed is the fact that if you had a five foot nine guy and a six foot two guy with the same skill set, the same speed, you know the same hockey sense, still going to the corn go to six.
1: Yeah, that's something that definitely hasn't changed, and it's something that a lot of teams are looking for. I mean, you look at the Tom Wilsons or the Patty Maroons and, you know, a little less, but Kyle Clifford, things like that, you know, and the, the Chuck brothers and stuff. Those are players that are, you know, a rare breed now because a lot of guys want to be the, the faster fleet of foot, you know, more fancy with the hands kind of guys and not the, yeah. the bread and butter going the corner. So when you get those players... You know, teams are more apt to hold on to him. I mean, look what Washington paid Tom Wilson at the time, and a lot of people raised their eyebrows. But now you look at Tom Wilson, you're like, well, that's a player you want in your lineup and need well, in your lineup.
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Out of the line, but you still like, like, small guys will get you there, but big guys will stay, you
1: know. So for you, I mean, going through it and working with different teams, was there ever a team where you were like okay I'm going to go and we're going to look for these kind of players was there ever a team that came to you and said hey we need this type of guy or were you more apt to just be able to, to go and give them what the best you see well everything was
2: awesome uh, I know I know when, the first, when big Channel was the uh, head coach there, I know that after the third rally was the most strong off competitive kids and you know, he wanted to, he wanted to uh be able to drop those kind of guys. Um but well, when I worked for Tampa Bay uh early two thousand, uh, you know, he wanted to he did have a a damper that guy. Owen oh, was a huge factor at that time. Um I know that that time we played Philadelphia in the finals. Or semi or they were big, they were strong. It was pretty good, but i played them in the front. They were a big, strong. You know, so, so I never- uh, the guys in, in, in uh, Vancouver, you know, the game started to change because after the lockout in 2004, the game started to change. So the players, you know, what you're looking for has changed to, to a certain extent.
1: Well, and I got to ask this question. You know, you're looking for players. Was there ever a player that you really drummed, you know, beat the drum for, and said, "Hey, we got to get this guy. This is a guy. Like was it was your guy that you wanted drafted." <laughs> well,
2: it was one that uh, I'll tell you. Ryan Miller, uh, the goalie. I was in Tampa, I was in uh, Nashville at the time. I went. I was went down to a game. Uh, uh, to a game, and I was in Windsor. We drove down to watch him play in Detroit um he was playing junior at the time before he went to michigan state it was his draft year i went down with uh with uh the gm of uh peter dorian it was gm of ottawa now him, him and i drove down you know and ron miller got lit up halfway through the game they pulled him um but there's something about the guy i liked I, I banged the drum for him and then they we said there go in the watch him play, watch out. we sent Rick Kinnickle maritime guy that ended up playing in the National Athletic LA goalie that uh, he went in and he like and like Rick uh, and Mitch Corn, the goalie coach down in the honors was with, was with uh, Buffalo and was with uh, Washington with Barry Trotz and was with us in Nashville he and he went down so he like and like and the next year sure he's setting the record for the season at Michigan State and NCAA but end up being a pretty good NHL player. I'd be there for us to take him, but uh, to get any bad practice, and there's other times, you beat the drop for a guy, and you know he doesn't turn out. That's just the way it is in scoting. It's, the scoting's not really a, you gotta understand that the scoting, no one really, you can say he's your guy to a certain point, but the fact is that it's, a, it's a, scoting is still a team game. You know, you need more than one person like a guy. You uh, need the other guys to push for them as well, and, uh, you know, there's guys you like that other guys don't like, and end up being players, or, or vice versa. But you got you to be built on a team, and you got to know what the, the organization wants it or, wants it for players. You know what their their, uh, their definition of players and, and what they're looking for, and you go from there.
1: Well, you look at the Ryan Miller situation, and uh, after he set the the record for shutouts, and obviously went on to be, did anybody ever tap you on the shoulder and say, "Hey, you you might have had something there. Should have listened." Sure.
2: Well, guys talk about it all the time, you know. And you know, those guys we miss. And you know, those guys we, we drafted in different organizations that uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't put my stamp on. But guys, other guys like them, even though they're in my area. But you know, sometimes you get, uh, you know, weighed, and other times you push hard, and guys take your word, and they don't turn out, they don't turn out. But uh, it's it's, it's, a, it's a team. It's a, you know, it, that's that's the thing that people don't realize that. You know, the GM doesn't draft the player. It's a scouting staff that drafts a player. And it's a, it's a group effort. It's just not one guy. Right? And that, that's no different from, uh, from team to team. It's a, it's a group effort.
1: Well, working with and, and underneath different GMs throughout the years, do you have a favorite one and a favorite story with that GM? Well,
2: I think David Poyle. Um, you know, I worked with him for a very long time. Uh, I was with Washington uh, with him, and after 12 years, and he got relieved. And a couple months later, you know, later, he surfaced in uh, Nashville, and I left Washington to, to join him because he was always uh, very good to myself and my family um, and the people around him. If you look at the loyalty factor. You know, or, the, you know, Brian Murray was a coach for how long in, in Washington, and. Uh, Barry Trotz, he took him from Nashville, where just in, he was a scout in, in Washington with us, became uh, American Hockey League assistant coach becomes American League head coach wins on American League under David Poyle, and David Poyle brings him to Nashville uh, with him and he had a long career there I think the fact is that you know David knows all about loyalty and family
1: Do you think that's something that goes into the success of the Nashville Predators year in and year out, just what he's built there David Poyle, like I don't even mean just on the ice, I mean off the ice. Uh, there's a whole thing, you know, it's they, Smashville for a reason, just the way it's set up and built. I mean, the fans love it, the players seem to love it, and it seems to be such a community. I'm just wondering if you could speak to that for a second. Well,
2: I, you know, everybody talks about players, and, you know, lot of the reasons players have success is because they're consistent, and being consistent is a skill in itself. And the same thing applies to organizations as well, it's right? If there's consistency throughout an organization, from the top, your better chance your chance of success is increased, and that's one of the things that the Nationals has been pretty consistent with the type of players they want, type of people they hire, type of people they they draft, type of people they you know trade for, and so forth. Consistency thing.
1: So I got to ask that on the flip side of that coin, you know, a team that we talk about a lot on this podcast is Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I'm wondering for you. Looking from the outside in for so many years, what do you think is is wrong in the Maple Leaf organization where they can't seem to? For a while, was not make the playoffs, but then it was. Now they can't get over the hump. I'm wondering. You you brought you know you've been around a lot of players, a lot of different character. You talked about that a few moments ago. What do you think it is for the Toronto Maple Leafs that needs to get over that hump?
2: Well, I, I think that you know, if, if, of all the places in the world, there's probably a couple of places you where you don't want to. National Hockey League, and one of them is probably I don't because of the media pressure. Uh, you know, there's so much media attention there. There's so much pressure. you can't enjoy. The, you can't. Enjoy, I don't know how you enjoy the playing in that environment. You know, because you can't go for dinner. You can't take your family to a movie. You can't go for lunch anywhere. that like people know who you are, and I, I believe that the pressure from from the media sometimes maybe affect some of the decisions that are made in the past by the organization and I think it wears on players you know I, I believe it, it does and you want to say, listen to the media you don't uh, watch TV you don't you don't go on the internet but people do you know I think that's the biggest I think that's the biggest factor you know look at the, uh, Montreal is the same thing uh, Vancouver is, is, is like the same way as Montreal and Toronto in terms of media attention you know for Roberto Longo, and you know, we had that run in 2011 in Vancouver. You know, he, he, he couldn't turn sock bears with a camera being in his face. He had no personal time.
1: Yeah, and that would definitely wear and tear. I mean, especially on younger players, too, that are still trying to find their mental footing in the game, you know, having cameras and lights on. And I think. When Lou Lamorella was in town, I, he shied them all away from that and kind of, you know, I wouldn't say mother hen them, but just kept them safe and, you know, out of that expectation and out of the media fishbowl, so to speak, and now it's Kyle Dubas and it's not there the same way.
2: No, you know, uh, you know anybody who's been, who's been around Lou, Lou knows that, uh, you know, he, he's focused on one thing, that's the team. You know, he'll, he'll keep things very close to his chest. He doesn't want to... Interaction on the outside world, you know, if there's a guy that can be perfect in the bubble, he's the guy, right? And I you know he's the guy living in his own bubble, and only people have to that need know will know.
1: Well, we spoke a, a few moments ago, you know, about the, being a team of scouts that draft the players. Now, when you were the GM for the Saint John Sea Dogs, I want to ask you, you know, the the hat's kind of different. You know, you're you're look, you're leaning on your scouts, you're bringing in different players. Um, for you having the say as the GM, um, is it the same? You know, with the scouting, where you you know you you basically get to put the final stamp on a guy getting drafted by the organization or brought in via trade. I'm wondering for you, um, is the hat that much different?
2: Well, I, I think it's, it's a lot different than being a GM in a National Hockey League uh, because you don't have you don't have as much to deal with in the sense that uh, from a daily basis. You know, I, I still saw myself as a scout when I was a GM and, you know, I, I travel a lot to the games and the, and the junior games and then also evaluating the players within our system and, you know, evaluating other teams for trades. I still kind of wore that hat probably, you know, more so than an NHL GM would do, would do like stuff for David Poyle or Jim Bang to get out and see 50 100 games of junior hockey. Whereas for a GM and major junior, there shouldn't be any problem getting out to see, you know, uh, 100 to 200 games of uh, midget or, or junior A or major junior games. And um, I, I didn't feel I had to be around our team every day. Uh, every day I was in town, I'd watch our team practice. Uh, every day I would talk to Danny Flynn on the phone once, if not twice, maybe sometimes three times. Uh, so we all, we, Danny Flynn and I, had a great uh, line of communication. i talked go the team attack the type of players we wanted and so forth. So I spent a lot of time scouting and we had some good scouts, you know, Jack Brackett was doing some consult work for us and he became head scout in uh, Vancouver now with um, Minnesota. He helped us out to a certain extent. You know, we had uh, Christian Devois, you know, former NHL, Lucien Devois' son, who's now working for Ottawa. You know, we have Evo, who's now a director of player operations for uh, you know, for Moncton was a 15-inch NHL school with Calgary so we had, we had a lot of good people around us that, uh, and it just wasn't one person again, we had
1: a good team of people Now Daryl, I mean for you, you look at the NHL now and from what it was from when you started for you, what is the biggest stark change that you've seen and not just the players but the flow of the game what is the, the one thing you can say Okay, that right there is the hugest change
2: I think the fact that, you know, the, the, the speed of the game, uh, the fact, again, there's no holding, there's no clutching, there's no grabbing, uh, but the way the puck moves, you know, uh, it's just almost like pinball. I, I don't see as, as much of the the flow of the game in terms of the old days where you had to, you know, tic tac toe and she goes. Now it's a one pass shot. Uh, I don't see that kind of, you know, I think, I, I, I don't see that the Gretzky's or the Marcel Dion's or the or the Gila Fleurs with this well they can take a puck and skate twenty feet with it. So can, if you get the puck it's on your stick, it's off your stick. If you take more two, two strides, you're lucky to have the puck on your stick any longer. The speed, silver change, the way the puck moves, you know, your your fourth line's not fires anymore. The guy's got a much skill as the guy in the second or third line almost. So you know, those parts of the games have changed. The goaltending is bigger. You know, uh, if you look at the Canada Cup in '72, the average size is probably five foot nine. The average, the average size of the team that wins the National Hockey League Stanley Cup is probably six foot one. If you look at goalies today. You know, how many goalies are below what the National Hockey League? So they're bigger, they're faster, they're quicker. You know, and they're going to take more net and it's going to be harder to score.
1: No, it's uh, that is a hundred percent true. And, yeah, well, i i've only watched the game myself i guess you know visibly remembering it since probably about 92 93 until now and i mean i, I what's that? i'm a little older than you are <laughs> Well, I mean, even still in in that time frame for me, I can still say that, you know, there has been yeah. noticeable change in the game and the way that it's played. And you know, we went through yeah. the, the the trap era and the defensive era, and you know, you went through the the nineties where it was crash bang, and you know, basically everybody was, it was slobber knockers. You look at Detroit, Colorado, those kind of things, and just everything that happened in those kind of eras. But now you you see where the game's going to and. I'm wondering for yeah. you, did you like the way the game is heading or did you like the way the game was? Cool, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Loaded question.
2: Loaded question. You know, I, I, I'm a guy who plays football for my whole life. You know, football, lacrosse, and hockey. I, I, I like the physical part of it. I, I like the speed of the game today. You know, and I like to see a little more physicality to it. Um, I don't like the fact that there's a lot more stick work now, which I just said are even more dangerous than just guys going at it. You know, and you know all the rules have changed. There's a lot of guys become pretty brave. You know, you can see a guy go through a major junior career, five years, and not have a fight. You know, That's true. a fight, but you know but sometimes you're going to answer the bell, and you see less than that of accountability. You can get away with a lot more. Um, in a game today than you could years ago. You know, if you gave a guy an elbow, you're going you're gonna to answer the bell today. You know, he might get a slash back and draw, draw a penalty, but, uh, you know, you don't have to answer the bell as much as he used to in the past. You know?
1: Well, you that, know, that's one thing that morning. I miss. I mean, I miss the way that players used to get the police themselves. You know, sometimes yeah. the ref wouldn't see it or something would happen, and you'd have two or three guys on your roster that – would be able to go muck it up if you need him to and you know and yeah. that held a lot of guys in check i mean as brian burke used to call him he used to keep the rats at bay so
2: well i know you know one of, one of the things we did in St. john was uh really well you got guys at thomas shabbat matthew joseph matthew highmore and spencer smallman we had, we had a lot of skilled guys on our team and you look at our defense you know we got you know Jacob support was a first round pick Matt, uh, um Green was the first uh, third-round pick in the National High League on defense. And you we know, all the a skill, guys. We went out and got Bokanji and Mama, you know, from Bay just because we knew that these guys needed space. At, uh, and Bokanji was probably the toughest guy in, in the Quebec League, you know, from 2014 to 2017. There wasn't the a guy tougher. And, you know, he, we saw that with Joe Plano and what happened in Halifax. But uh, he took care of his guys, even though he got 15 games suspension. But the fact is that, uh, you know, when you have skill, you 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 have to protect them somehow, and that's what we did with Bukaji.
1: No, and like I just said, that's something that's missing now. I think a lot of, there are a lot of liberties that are taken and a lot of things that go on, and, you know, I don't mean to always target him on the show, but I look at Brad Marsh and, you know, some of his antics. I mean, if if he didn't have the giraffe and Zidane Chara always behind him, you know, the shadow of Chara, you know, I don't think he'd do half the things that he does, and if it was back in the day, I don't think he'd get away with half of the things that he does. But nowadays, it's a it's a different breed of game, and there's not a guy always on the team, on the opposing team that can go and, you know, solve that issue, sort of speak. So I miss that aspect. I like the speed, like you said, and I like the skill, but I, I miss the bump and the grind a little bit too.
2: Well, I'm a, yeah, and I'm a big Brad Sean fan, and. If you know it, Brad as a person, you know, you know he's a character kid. Uh, I know he did some things when he was younger that we questioned, even though it, it affected our, our our decision when draft time came and and uh, the National Hockey League. But he you know, he's matured over time, and you know, being with the Towers and the, the Patrick Bergeron, and you know, and and Brad's a good team player. He realized that uh, he wants to be inside that circle, not outside that circle. And, you know, he plays as hard as he ever did, but he doesn't think through the things that he did in the past in terms of, you know, uh, just crossing that line. He, he plays within the within the line, and he plays hard, and that's why he's become the player he has in National high he had a good people around him, and good people usually draw good people in. And He's a good player and a good person, and make you see that with his play today.
1: You know, a player that kind of uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Brad Marchand, a little younger, but is Nazem Kadri, another player who has had to learn from his pitfalls and mistakes, but seems to be coming into his own now, this year in Colorado especially. So, I mean, you know, those players, again, we talked about earlier, are ones that you want on your roster, and definitely I think Kadri wants to be in on that inner circle in Colorado instead of the outside. So, yeah, you, you look at and you could definitely point to things he did when he's younger, but you're right, his game has matured, and he, he learned how to, to be that, that greasy kind of player at times, but do yeah. it within the rules, so you get under the skin yeah. of your opponent, but it's not breaking any rules.
2: Yeah, but also too, I guarantee that he's escaping the, the media attention and the, the fan attention from Toronto and be the player, be himself, you know, yeah. and, and be the player he always wanted to be and doesn't have that constant uh, people, somebody look over your shoulder and people questioning it, people constantly you know having many photographs you can live life. you can breathe a little, little easier put it that
1: way right no that's that's the truth well Daryl, you've seen a lot in your your NHL your scouting career obviously even with the Q and then with Dalhousie um, I gotta ask this question before I let you go today you have ties yeah. with Washington do you see Mr. Alex Ovechkin breaking Wayne Gretzky's goal record
2: <laughs> well but, I am a huge Wayne fan I know, and you know what he's done for the game, and you know the ambassadors he's been for uh, for the game. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he did I think it's it's going to be a difficult pace to keep up just because of the the grind and the speed of the game. As you get older, you lose a step or two, and it's a little tougher as you as you get older. And you know, I, I think it's a challenge for him. Um, if he breaks that I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, I see Wayne having that record for a long time.
1: You know what, I, I agree with you. I think Ovi will get close, and it, it won't be like Kobe when the last game that he played where they let him you know, rack up his big point total. I don't think a team's going to let him score 15 to 20 goals in the net just to blow past Gretzky. So I think that one will stay intact. And the last one I want to ask you, we we got four teams left. We have the Islanders, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars Um, being around the NHL and around teams. What team do you think has the makeup right now to uh, – capture Lord Stanley's mug in the bubble. Uh,
2: you know what? That's a very difficult one, you know. I am a big uh Chelsea fan. Him and I have been friends since the our days in uh, Washington back in the late eighties and I like to see him win another cup there uh, plus one of our clients right now is Noah Dobson and I know he's not playing much but he's still part of that experience. I like to see him get an opportunity to win it. Um, Tampa Bay, you know I won a cup at Tampa Bay in two thousand and four so a little bit of love for them and um, you know and then we got then we got Dallas with a Rick Bonus, who's a maritime guy that uh, you know Rick used to pick me up in the uh, in the mid 70s to go play pickup hockey at St. Mary's University with all the you know, when I was a high school uh, player and you know he was playing uh, major junior in uh, Quebec and, then, and I played in the League and you know I would to see him do well so it's uh, one of those things like i got connections everywhere on those teams right <laughs> you know and people people like to see win right so I know I mean I, I Vegas got it, got it got it you know and Rick's got that team playing well in Dallas and you know last night's a 2-1 game you know the couple, last couple seconds now Tampa Bay has got a couple guys banged up you know I, I guess I would say uh, just because of uh, our friendships like to see uh, you know Dallas there's uh, Rick and uh and the other is because of Trotz and uh, and uh, and Noah Dobson and either one of those two teams get in the finals and I'll be a happy guy
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I gotta I gotta ask I mean I know it's that last question but Rick Bonus with the, the Dallas Stars do you not see them taking that intern tag off and making him the full time head coach
2: yeah I, I think that the, the fact that they won that game seven and you know coming back and went in the last couple of minutes tied tie it up the last couple of minutes and went in overtime and you know, the way to turn that team around after, the, the, you know, he stepped in there. I can see him being, you know, a job for him. Um, you know, basically as I can, not take it away from him. Again, Jim is the guy, again, about loyalty and consistency. He comes from Detroit where they had that loyalty. and consistency factor, you know, from Ken Holland for about, you know, 30 years there. And Jim Neal comes from that organization. And I think a lot of those uh, attributes he brings with him in and Dallas, and I think he'll he'll reward the loyalty and and he respects the uh, the knowledge and the the coaching ability of Rick Bonus.
1: Well, I really hope he does stick. I think he's really earned it. Um, Daryl, I want to thank you very much for taking the time and sitting down with us. I do want to have you back on hopefully by the end of the year again and talk a little bit more stories about Dalhousie and, of course, your cup win with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. But I want to thank you very much again for stopping by. Well, thank you. Anytime. So there you have it ladies and gentlemen, that was Daryl Young, former NHL scout, general manager of the Saint John Sea Dogs and also all-around great guy in hockey as you can hear. He has ties to everybody in the game, so it's great to sit down with him, catch up and have some fun stories. All right guys, that's offside for today and we will figure out these technical issues that kept Kyle from being on this call. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk where hockey comes to talk. <music>